Happy New Year and welcome to Coffee House Questions. This is Ryan Polly. You know, I had so much fun last year starting this show, learning how to podcast and kind of getting the word out there and kind of seeing it grow. Uh, but now we're starting a new year and I'm excited for this first episode of the year. And with that, uh, there is no better way to start the year than with a very special guest. And so today I have the privilege of talking to the president and founder of Stand to Reason, Greg Kokel. Uh, just yesterday, his new book, The Story of Reality, was released, and now he has joined me uh, over Skype to talk about it. Greg, thank you so much uh, for coming on my show. Well, I am so happy to talk with you today, Ryan. Thanks for, uh, thanks for this opportunity. Yeah, and I know uh, this is a busy time for you with just the release of your book, um, and you mentioned that you've been working on this book for a while now. Well, yeah, I actually started the concept about 15 years ago and worked with it up until about a year ago under an entirely different title. And then Jay Warner Wallace and I had dinner together and he pounded on me about the title I used to have. He didn't like it and he had a good point. And uh, so we shifted and changed it. And I'm much happier now with the story of reality. And the subtitle is now how the world began, how it ends and everything important that happens in between. So for the last 15 years, I've just been developing this idea and uh, trying to uh, develop a tool. Uh, I mean, this was the earliest inception of it, a tool that would lay the foundation for Christians in terms of what was really the most important things that they had to know and believe in order to be Christians. And so yeah. if this is what we need to know, and that, therefore these are the things that we need to defend if we're making a case for Christianity. And so that's kind of the way it started, and it started out really as a very left-brain enterprise. I mean, that's my impulse, really. And uh, as time went on, I realized that this isn't just uh, systematic theology. This is a grand story, and using the concept of narrative is a very kind of user-friendly way of communicating nowadays and so especially when it comes to worldview so that's when i started shifting to kind of the story motif and then taking these vital uh theological points in a certain sense and trying to weave them in a very gentle soft uh appealing accessible way into a narrative where i could just tell this story in a way that would be easy for people to hear it memorable to them and uh, and also a compelling, I think, in the way it's laid out. Therefore, not uh, non-believers, people who are not Christians or who don't share our convictions, can also see not just the big picture, but why we think the big picture is worth thinking about and worth believing. Well, and I think that you just did such a great job uh, doing that in the book. I I, I loved reading it, um, and I did feel like it was very user friendly. Um, and so I'm very excited to be talking uh, with you about it. And for those of you that are listening, uh, we are going to spend the next hour um, discussing this book and kind of going over some of its uh, details and kind of what it's about and who it's written to. And so I'm excited for that. Uh, but as always, I just want to um, remind, remind you that, that if you have any comments or questions about this show, uh, you can... Email those to coffeehouse, uh, sorry, to contact at coffeehousequestions.com. Uh, you can message on the Facebook page or text in at 714-989-6927. Um, but Greg, you know, it's, it's exciting for you to come on my show because uh, Standard Reason was actually, I think, the first apologetics ministry that I started to follow uh, okay. when I got into apologetics. 
right. I was a missionary in the Dominican Republic at the at the time, and uh, I used to call into your show, and and I would always be Ryan from the Dominican Republic. <laughs> okay, I remember that. Sure. Yeah. Um, once in a while, we'd get an international call, and I do remember those calls. Thanks. Yeah, and so uh, I think that probably maybe stand out maybe a little bit, you know, coming from a different country. But uh-huh. um, and so it's been exciting now coming back to the United States, uh, living in California, being able to um, help out Stand a Reason, just being able to uh, participate in the Rethink conferences here in Southern California, and just see the amazing thing things that you guys do as a ministry and then now having the privilege of having you on my show. And so that's just, it's been awesome. Yeah. Well, great. So it's uh, good for me too. I like, it's great to talk to you now. It's a, it's interesting. The roles are reversed though. Now you're the host. Well, yeah. And how, how do you, how do you feel about being interviewed? Uh, it's fine. I love it. Actually, I would rather be interviewed. I had this conversation with Justin Brierley, uh, who has a show in England called unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, we did two shows back-to-back in our studio. And the first one, he interviewed me for his show. And the second one, I interviewed him for my show. And uh, we had this conversation. He would much rather do the interviewing. I said I'd much rather be interviewed because, you know, when you're in your seat, Ryan, you're responsible for the whole hour. When I stop talking, you've got to start. Yeah. You have to direct the conversation. You have to be prepared. I just sit here and respond, basically, and have a good time. So this is this is easy for me. It's hard work for the person in your spot. So yeah, I'm that is, in here. That is very true. That's something that I am still learning how to do, and I think that you do uh, so well uh, on your show. And, and and you've been hosting your radio show for now almost 27 years. Yeah, it's, uh, it makes me feel old when I think about it. But February, <laughs> I think it's February 11th is my anniversary. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up Justin Brierley. I think the last time that I ran into you was at the Unbelievable Live, uh, where with the debate with Sean McDowell and Ryan. Um, hey. Oh, I forget the other guys. Um, Ryan Bell. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, that that was a great debate uh, with with Sean, and he did a great job acquitting himself um, in that conversation. I thought it was fabulous. Yeah. So what would be something that you would say uh, after 27 years of, of radio ministry and, and 24 years with Stand to Reason, uh, kind of what caused you to start Stand to Reason and what's kind of kept you going uh, throughout the years? Well, I guess there were a couple of impulses, Ryan, that were important to me. I was in pastoral ministry at the time. I was an associate pastor. I'm not really a head pastor type. You know, it's, it takes a different gift to kind of be with one congregation for the long haul. But uh, I'd had enough visibility of what was going on, and, and I had my own personal interest in apologetics that goes back to the, my very earliest years as a Christian, the influence of C.S. Lewis and Josh McDowell and uh, Francis Schaeffer on my own life. And so when I looked at what was going on in the local church, I, I, saw, I saw two things that were troublesome. Uh, one of them was the inability uh, of Christians to articulate their convictions well, and I guess maybe that's the that's one big thing, but it has two aspects. One of it is they just couldn't think very clearly about their convictions. Mm-hmm. They could maybe state their views, uh, but they but they couldn't think them through well. They couldn't um, give a rationale for them. They couldn't show how they the Christian worldview tied in with reality. They they couldn't effectively defend their faith, and I saw that was a big need, and I wanted to help that. Uh, the second thing is, is there was a lot of shrillness, you know, 
That was back in the time of the culture wars or the so-called culture wars. That was the language that was being used, the moral majority and, and stuff like that. And so there was a lot of shrillness in the dialogue in the public square. And this is not helpful, you know, um, usually. <laughs> if, if, if anybody gets mad when you're having a discussion with them, uh, we're going to lose. Because if I get mad or they get mad, the, the, the conversation is not going to go well. And we're not going to have the kind of impact we want. And a lot of times it seems like we're yelling at the opposition the, instead of uh, trying to converse with them and win them over in a genial, friendly way. And so both of those things were foundational uh, concerns when we started Stand to Reason in 1993. My desire was to uh, train Christians to think more carefully about their convictions and then communicate them in a winsome and attractive but compelling fashion. So those are the driving impulses uh, that, that started the whole enterprise 24 years ago almost now that we call Stand to Reason. Well, and I think your ministry does such a great job at that, and that's one thing that I've really taken away as I've followed Stand to Reason. Um, and I want to highlight something that you just said, is that it, you, you said that in a conversation, if anyone gets mad, you lose. Yeah, that's right. It, it's not just if I get upset, then, you know, but if I make the other person upset, then right. I also lose. Why, why do you say that? Well, because people who are angry are not in a receptive mood. Yeah. They're, they're in a defensive mood. They don't. They're trying to protect their own turf. They're not having kind of an openness to actually consider your particular points. Now, look, sometimes you can't avoid it. I think that we can, we should be able to control how we are in conversation. Though it, those virtues take a little time to develop. Um, but sometimes you can't control the other side because the thing that makes them mad is not our style or posture or the way we're coming across. I mean, if that's what's making them angry, then we need, need to change our style. But sometimes what makes them angry is the, the message itself, even if it's graciously and fairly and even handedly communicated. So um, that's something we can't do much about. Uh, Jesus made a lot of people angry. Uh, got himself killed, for goodness sake. And so uh, that's why it says in Romans that if possible, as far it's, as it's within our power, be at, be at peace with all men. Well, sometimes it's not going to be possible, and sometimes it's not going to be within our power. But there's a lot that we can't control. And so my goal is to have friendly conversations. I don't want to get in a fight. I don't want to bang heads with people, because I know if I start doing that, then they're not listening. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, the, the purpose of our discussion today is to talk about your book, The Story of Reality, How the World Began, How It Ends, and Everything Important That Happens in Between. But right now we're kind of going back to one of your previous books, a very well-known, and if my those listening don't know about this book, uh, you need to get it. It's called Tactics, um, the game plan for discussing your Christian convictions, and that's kind of what we're discussing right now. That's um, right. And and that's kind of that's one of the main things also I think that uh, your ministry does well or, or kind of has really set uh, maybe you apart or stand a reason is this idea of tactics. Um, is that one of the main things that you talk about uh, when you go around and, and, and to churches and doing training? It is one of the main things, just because uh, the, the book, hap I'm happy to say, has been very well received. And uh, so I'm glad, too, because um, I, I get people that come to me almost every single event that I go to nowadays. And that book's been out, I think, seven years. And almost uh, uh, and 
No, it's been on six years. And every event that I go to now, uh, almost without exception, all people come up to me and they'll say, that book changed my life. That's what they tell me. And they, what they mean is, I mean, they were Christians. They loved the Lord. But what it changed was the way they engaged with other people. And it changed the whole tenor of their conversations. And it changed their effectiveness. And so I think this is one reason why Stand to Reason is known for this, because um, we kind of pioneered in a, in a deliberate fashion um, the, the certain techniques that help people to uh, maneuver in conversation. I say in a deliberate fashion because a lot of these techniques have been around for a long time, but, but nobody kind of in, on our team, our broad team in Christianity has deliberately put them out in a way that we can work um, in an intentional way of being tactical in our conversations with other people. Yeah, when I did that with tactics, it met a need and uh, and it took off, and it's been it's been just moving along at a steady sales ever since, which yeah. I'm really glad to see. In fact, I think the sales have perked up a bit now with the release of the story of reality. Well, and that makes sense because I think that these two books go together so well. The story of reality gives a picture of Christianity, and then tactics gives you the game plan on how to talk about Christianity. Yeah, I, that's a very good observation. And usually at the end of every year, I, 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 uh, on the radio show, I mention five or six or seven books that I think are central to every person's library because each one has a fulfills a vital purpose. Okay, and you know it's a little embarrassing to say this, but I told the audience, you know, I think that. Tactics has a singular role, and it should be in every Christian's library. I, w- I would recommend that even if I hadn't written it. Uh, but I also think the story of reality does as well because of the, the point you just made, Ryan, that there is a kind of a hand-in-hand relationship. The story of reality tells our story in a very basic foundational way, so it's really clear how, the, how all the parts fit together from beginning to end, and built into that is a kind of what I call a soft apologetics. There are, there are um, an appeal to common sense notions that uh, seem to support uh, the Christian worldview, but it's not polemical. It's not argumentative. That's not the tone of the book. And then the tactics book um, gives you the tools uh, to be able to maneuver in conversations about the ideas that we find in the story of reality. Absolutely. Yeah. So I just want to encourage everyone that's listening to, if you haven't read Tactics or uh, Story of Reality, which just came out yesterday, go pick up both of those books together, and I think that they are extremely beneficial. And And I use the tactical approach uh, in my classroom all the time with my students, and I always tell them, you have to ask questions, ask questions, always start with questions. Um, and it's just so beneficial. Um, but By the way, They can get the book. Uh, they can go to our website, str.org, and uh, grab the book there. Perfect. That's a real easy way to get it. Yeah. And and also, just STR has so many other resources as well just um, that are very beneficial and helpful uh, right. that people just need to go check out and visit that, that site. Um, but kind of getting now to the book, The Story of Reality, um, what would you say kind of is your target audience? You know, at the, at the very end of the book, uh, you mentioned if you're a Christian, this is your story. If you're not a Christian, this is also your story because this isn't just a religious fairy tale. This is the story of the way things really are. That's right. So that, uh, thank you for that citation because it really makes the point. Um, it's actually the, an author's dream that they have a book that, in which 
everybody is the target, you know. Yeah. You can't have that generally. And, and uh, when authors tell publishers, well, everybody should read my book kind of thing, publishers go, yeah, right, they all say that. But who is who is your targeted audience? It turns out that my audience is much broader here than for tactics because tactics was for Christians who are committed to Christ and who want to make a difference in communicating their convictions to other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's kind of a boutique um, crowd, so to speak, from a from a publishing perspective. But see, since this book is the story of reality, um, it's a book that's for Christians who have been around for a long time and who have never had the whole thing put together for them in a coherent way. They have all the pieces, maybe, but they're like pieces of puzzle in a pile on the floor. They have never put the pieces together to get the big picture. Okay, mm-hmm. so it's. Christians who've been around for a while. It's also for younger Christians who have uh, who don't who are just starting out and who need a foundation uh, laid out in a compelling way, easy to follow, but and and in a certain sense argued for. That is, it's not just our view, but here are the reasons why we think our view is actually true. And so it's good for new Christians. It's also good for older Christians who know the story, who are communicating it to newer Christians. So it's a Bible study tool. It is a uh, small group tool. It is a discipleship tool that can be used to uh, pass the baton of the foundation of Christianity onto the next generation. So those are all different groups within the body of Christ, which is pretty large, right? That's a good yeah. audience. But, you know, I'll tell you who I had uh, in mind, Ryan, when I, I mean, every line of the word smithing of this book. Um, I had non-Christians in mind because I figure if I can write a book that non-Christians can understand and find compelling, well, Christians are going to find it compelling, too. All right. So that's easy. But a lot of books that are written for Christians, non-Christians just don't get. They don't like it. it it's not their lingo. Uh, it doesn't make sense to them. Um, they're reading somebody else's mail kind of thing. Yeah. I wanted a non-Christian to pick up this book. And actually, the way it will probably work is I wanted a Christian to be able to hand this book to their non-Christian friends and say, you know what I've been talking about here the last couple of months as we've been talking and conversing a little bit, here is a good characterization of it. Here's a good explanation of it. Kind of puts it together in a simple way. Why don't you read this and then we'll talk some more. I think this is going to be a very effective tool for Christians to do. Gee, I hate to say evangelism, Ryan, because it's, people get a certain image in their mind when you use the word but, uh, but but because this isn't an evangelistic tract, but it is a book that I think will have a powerful impact for communicating the gospel clearly to those who don't share our convictions and do it in a persuasive way. And so I'm hoping there I'm hoping that Christians will buy these by the dozen, frankly. In fact, at Stand to Reason, str.org, we're putting together packages so. People can buy 10 at a time and get a bigger discount so they can give it to their friends and family members who don't know the Lord. And, and, and they won't be embarrassed when they do that. You know, sometimes, Ryan, you see something and say, well, this has got a good message, but I, it's kind of like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want my friends to read that or see that Christian movie because there's a little, it's a little bit, oh, like embarrassing. That isn't the case with this book. I don't think they're going to find that to be the case. I think they're going to find it to be very user friendly for the non Christian as well. Yeah, and I completely agree with uh, with that point in that it's very user friendly. Um, it's very easy to read, 
but yet at the same time, it goes into detail and covers the, the most important points. And, and I think that you made a great point about the fact that this is a good book to give to a non-Christian friend kind of to show because I think one of the main problems that I come up against in conversations is that the person you're talking to has a bad idea or misconception of what Christianity really is. That's right. And so you're not necessarily arguing about the same thing. They're arguing against a false view of Christianity. And so I think this book is a great way uh, to give to someone and a great way to help them see the true picture of reality, the true picture of Christianity, so that you can have that dialogue on what Christianity actually is rather than their view of Christianity that they learn from culture or, or whatever it may be. Yeah, that is a fabulous point. It actually leads into a main feature of this book, if I can speak to that, and it's and it's suggested by the title. You said a lot of times as when we're having conversations with our, our, our non-Christian friends that we are not talking about the same thing. And that means in one point that they have misconceptions about what Christianity actually teaches and what Christians are like, etc. But there's another uh, misconception that's on a little bit deeper level. And that is that, that, that I wanted in the book to drive home the point that what I describe in the book is not religious fantasy. It's not a once upon a time, uh, Marx's opiate of the people kind of thing, but rather an accounting of the way the world actually is. Now, the reason is, is because people have a way of relativizing religion. It's your truth versus my truth. But, you know, and it's not like you have your thing, I have my thing, they have their thing, and everybody's has their truth, and that's all that you can say about it. But, but as I say in the book, if the story is not accurate to reality, it's not any kind of truth at all. So it can never be my truth or your truth, even if we believe it. It, it can only be our delusion, you know, or our mistake or our error, but it can never be our truth. But that reflects the way the culture talks about it. It reflects the way Christians talk about it. But that isn't the way the story is. The story doesn't approach the content of, of, of Christianity, so to speak, from the inside. Like, this is my belief system. This is my faith. This is my relationship with God. All of those things are true. They have their value. But Jesus didn't view it that way. He viewed uh, um, this whole project from the outside first. In other words, First, as a picture of the way the, the world actually is in itself. And if the, if the inside story doesn't match the outside story, then the inside story is useless. Then you've got Karl Marx's religion as the opiate of the people. It's just the drug you take to make you feel better, but it has nothing to do with reality, and it can't solve a single thing. All it does is make you maybe make you feel better. Um, but that's not what the story offers. The story is meaning to tell you about the way the world really is. And that is why the solutions the story give can make a difference because they're real solutions to real genuine problems. And that's a point that I really wanted to drive home, which is one reason the story, uh, the title of the book is the story of reality. Yeah, and I, and I like the way that you start the book uh, in that way, kind of discussing that first kind of what you call the confusion, uh, that our story is, uh, our, our culture is, is confused on the way reality works or the way the reality is. Right. Um, you know, and it's interesting uh, that 
just a couple days ago, I just saw it on Facebook like yesterday, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, you know, the popular TV um, host. Uh, I know him, but I, I only see him at gas stations. Uh, when, I, when I'm pumping gas, you know, in Southern California, they got the little, I don't know about other places, but they've actually got a little video monitor on the gas pump. So you can watch all these little clips and Jimmy Kimmel comes up a lot on that. Okay, yeah. Well, I don't remember. I don't know exactly. I don't watch his show, and I don't know exactly what the show is. But it's kind of a similar thing, like Jimmy Fallon, you know, Saturday Night Live, not Saturday Night, Live, but um, yeah, not Saturday Night Live, kind of sort of thing. Uh, yeah. But he just did a little skit on his show just a couple of days ago, I think. Um, the way truth actually works, and it was interesting. Is he started out and he read a tweet um, by actually um, Donald Trump, where you know he talked about you know let the people decide the truth. And he actually came against that and said, people don't get to decide the truth. The truth is just true. You, you right. don't get to choose your own truth. It, you know, the, the earth can't be round and flat. If you say it's flat, it's just wrong. It, the, it's right. true that the earth is round. And so I think, you know, and, and he used a very helpful analogy where he had a little coffee cart come out and they said, you know, it'll be 375. And he goes, well, no, that's just true for you. You know, for me, it's a dollar. I'm just going to pay a dollar. You know, right. that's my truth. And, you know, the people are kind of laughing. And I think that we have an understanding of that when it comes to things like math, science, maybe people do agree that there is truth. But for some reason, when it comes to religion, uh, people want to then say, well, no, it can't be objectively true. Yeah. Everything is just relative. How would you kind of respond to that? Well, uh, I am. I'm kind of dancing with glee, actually, to hear. Uh, was it did you say Jimmy Kimmel? Yeah. Yeah, to hear somebody like that it, in Hollywood, for goodness sake, Absolutely. Uh, part of pop culture, that are making this point. Now, I think he probably misunderstood Donald Trump. I think what Trump meant was let the people decide what the truth is. I don't think Trump was saying let the people make up their own truth. Yeah. But regardless, that's a secondary point. His point was spot on. And, oh, my goodness, you know, this kind of point argues completely against the gender political correctness that we have in our culture right now. And yeah. maybe Jim Kimmel has never even made the connection. But sex is binary. <laughs> That's the fact of the world. And, um, and gender is binary. Even if some people are confused about what their gender is, there still is a fact of the matter, even though people have their own truth about their, what, 150 different genders available to them now. That's all just you know, make me up. That's fantasy life. That isn't yeah. the world. And so I'm really happy to hear that Jimmy Kimmel, of all people, is at least pressing this point that truth is objective and absolute. Um, and that's the only kind of truth statements that really matter. Now, trying to figure out what that absolute truth is, that's another matter, of course. Yeah. But at least if we view truth that way, then we can direct our, our enterprise in the right in the right way. Let's find out what is the fact of the matter regarding, say, worldviews or uh, religious views and, and, uh, and let the chips fall. May the best religion win kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we just have about three minutes left in part one of this interview. Um, so kind of to close it off, what would you say makes the story of reality kind of unique compared to other apologetics or theological books? What, what, you know, what caused you to write this or thinking there's something else that needs to be said? Well, I just I think the notion of the story is important here. Um, I'm sure you've read a lot of books, Ryan, and so have your listeners. Uh, and they're they're very left brain affairs. You know, they break down 
uh, the challenges and then they offer the arguments and they, they're, they're well written, they're well composed, they're well wordsmithed and all of that stuff, you know, but, um, but the style is, um, polemical, it's argumentative, uh, maybe not hostile, but they're, what's different about the story of reality is that there is a certain geniality, I think, about the about the voice in the book, and and here I think, and I'm always a little embarrassed to make this comparison, but uh, if it's not too bold, here I think the voice is very much like the voice of C.S. Lewis in his writings, like this, principally *Mere Christianity*, uh, where it's a it's it's a it, it's 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 I'm speaking with the reader. I'm, I, I'm having a conversation with the reader, and it's a it's a genial, friendly conversation. And so, one of the biggest differences here uh, than other apologetics books is is it isn't a point by point by point defense for Christianity. It is rather a telling of the story, as you might tell a friend that you are having coffee with or whatever, um, but at different points. Um, anticipating an objection and responding to that. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking this kind of thing. And you know what? I can understand that. I can see that, would, that, that you, there's merit to that. But there, you never, maybe you never thought about this angle of it. And then I kind of slip this thing in and then move on. So I think, simply put, the voice is very, very different. And I think it lends it to a very easy read and, I think, a persuasive case. Awesome. Well, I'm talking with Greg Kokel of Stand to Reason about his new book that just came out yesterday, The Story of Reality, How the World Began, How It Ends, and Everything Important That Happens in Between. This is just part one, and the good news is, is that you, you don't have to wait until next week to hear part two. I'm going to be posting it right after this, and so uh, be sure that you don't miss part two uh, and, and listen to the rest of the book as we get into more of the contents. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Ryan Pauly, and thank you for joining me in part one uh, of your interview, Greg. Oh, you're welcome, Ryan. Looking forward to the next uh, segment. All right, thank you.